Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. And I'm your other co-host, procrastinating to the highest level right now, Colton Watson. Well, I'm participating in that a little bit as well, considering I have stuff I need to be writing for Maroon to White Nation. Um, But we knew we needed to get a podcast out for you people because it was a very good weekend for Mississippi State sports. Yes, excellent. It's all going according to plan. <laughs> well, yeah, it looked like it wasn't. It was about to go according to not plan. Very, uh, very much on Friday. I was, I was. Words were said on my drive up to Starkville. I missed the game, thankfully. Um, I can't claim to be the good luck charm because I was, I was out, I was out, uh, at the game that we lost last Saturday. But I was three and zero on attended events this weekend. Yeah, no, that, that's that's good to hear. Col- Colton uh, providing us some some goodwill at the right possible time. That's the way to talk about it. Like bringing state the needs, thunder. Yeah, also state, procrastinating very much this weekend. Look, sometimes you got to do that. You you needed a big weekend for baseball, and again, for a second, it looked like uh, that was in danger. But you end up getting the series winning against Arizona State, and then on the basketball side. Uh, for men's basketball, had to have a winning against Texas A&M, and they go out and do it. So obviously, that's going to be the focus of today's episode. But we'll start. Andrew, with- are you sure? Are you sure we didn't get a series split against Arizona State? My mistake. We did, in fact, have a series split with the Sun Devils. Um, as we all know, a two-to-one advantage is an even split. I don't think they know what split means. Uh, yeah, that. That was split, a very weird – Split has got to be – you can claim a split if it's like 60-40. Okay, like if you're cutting a cake in half, it's got to be – you got a margin for error of plus or minus 5% on either side. Okay. Yeah. We won two out of three. That's 67%. That's not a split. You know, I, had to put that in, I had to put that in math terms to make that make sense to me because that's just funny. Like it's it not, is, it's not, it's just wrong. Yeah, no. For those unfamiliar, because I know not, I think most of our audience is on Twitter because it's it's mostly like that's how most of you find find what we're uh, putting out there. But in case you're not, the Arizona State baseball account following Game Three talked about a series split with Mississippi State. Um, State won the series. You can't a three game series. You cannot split. I guess unless you're going to theoretically have a tie. Which Mississippi State baseball has tied before, and it happens. It happened yesterday. Auburn tied USC. Really, I did not see that. It was it was gross. It was a twelve twelve tie. USC had a runner cross the plate without touching it, that could have scored the go ahead run on Sunday. USC obviously all the way out in California. They have flights to catch. They had to call the game. Okay, I was going to ask if that was like. I saw the SEC implemented some new rules this year. I was not aware if that was something that was thrown in there. The only the only tie I remember personally was Mississippi State in 2016 tied Oklahoma early in the year because they were playing out in LA and there was like, uh, I think they were playing at Dodger Stadium, and there were regulations that games had to end by like 10 p.m. local time or something. So, uh, State had randomly had a tie on its schedule in 2016, uh, the SEC champion team. Um, but no, there was no tie in Starkville this weekend. Mississippi State takes a series against the Sun Devils, uh, two to one, and that's after a really, really tough defeat on Friday night. You lose thirteen to four 
Uh, Cade Smith, you know, one of the guys that we've talked about more as being a one of the pitchers that you would rely on more and you feel confident. One of the few returnees in that pitching staff that you feel more confident in. Really, really rough outing for him. And it was just a bad night overall for Bulldog pitchers. Again, 13 runs allowed in that game. And the one thing that, you know, typically you, you trust State offensively, like to have the bats, only four runs in this game. Um, and and mo- with most of those runs coming later on. So was not a good night at all. I think everybody was very much back into panic mode, uh, which, again, you know, you were sitting at three and three at that point with losses to VMI, ULM, and then now Arizona State. I can understand being frustrated, but luckily the Bulldogs bounce back in a big way. They get the win five to one on Saturday. Much, much better pitching performance again. You only give up one run. Uh, what else can you ask for there? Uh, it. I still can't pronounce his name. Graham. Itema. Itema. He gets the start uh, and has a really good uh, start for the Bulldogs. Uh, again, that's another. That's another newcomer. You know, uh, it's funny how that works out right now. Um, and then finally on the rubber match on Sunday, Mississippi State gets really one of its more complete games of the year, 16-3, to blowout victory. The bats were just – could not be stopped in this game. State just scoring run after run, multiple bombs, including, a you know, a grand slam in this one. And then your pitching staff does what you need it to do, only gives up three runs in the game. Uh, for State to get a series win against a power conference opponent, feels like they're getting back on track here. Right. So, again, couldn't have started off any worse. Started off, uh, like I was saying, words were said, emotions uh, were felt, discussions were had, none of them positive. And then we're all feeling our oats uh, on Sunday. Not only do you win, but you win in a dominant fashion. Really, I mean, would you call like what a one to five baseball game? Is that dominant on Saturday? But the way that you pitch that game, yeah, it was it was dominant. Uh, Arizona State didn't have a lot of traffic on the bases, just two walks in that Saturday game. Uh, actually, I'll get I'll just pull up the entire statistics from that game and and just show how dominant it was. Just five hits and two walks. I guess you did have a hit batsman that was erased by a uh, a pickoff. So only eight total base runners through the nine innings. Whereas um, if you're Mississippi State. You were able to score five runs. You had a big explosive inning there in the fourth, and that was all you needed. Uh, Now, they did have a really nice reliever. He actually pitched twice, uh, Matt Teating. I had him as – I wrote him down as Tilding in our preview, and that's on on me for uh, apologies to that young fella. But uh, he was able to shut you down, but it was too late. Uh, Arizona State couldn't couldn't hang with Mississippi State until you win that game. And then, of course, just dominate on Saturday – on Sunday. Yeah, um, and it, it, again, it's kind of weird because you talk about Cade Smith being the guy in the rotation that you were confident, but only three innings pitched for him. He gives up seven earned runs, six walks, just two strikeouts uh, in his start. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was not good. And then Casey Hunt comes in, and God bless him. Uh, it's just it, it's just not there for him. He Five hits, six more runs, uh, three walks with three strikeouts for him, and 1.1 innings pitched. Um, it was a it was a rough night for the Bulldogs. There's not much uh, to say, but as we just talked about, you bounce back in a big way with two. Itama gives you a good start. Uh, Landon Gartman looks like he's you know a good, good impact transfer for MSU. Gives you another good start in that game. And obviously, when your offense produces 16 runs, 
you don't have to put as much stress on your pitching staff. Um, and you, you get a series win that you needed at a very crucial time. And does this mean every all is well in the world? Not yet. Um, you still have a couple of rough losses on the schedule that you have to be able to overcome. But this felt like a good momentum building series for state. And look, they've they've got big games coming up with Southern Miss on Tuesday night. Uh, the Golden Eagles are still ranked at the top 25, but they are coming off a series loss, if I'm correct, to Illinois. I believe that's right. Correct. And they are not ranked in the college baseball central top 25. They're the 26th team. So that's the only poll that matters to this podcast. Of course, that's the most important. Uh, and then you'll be playing out of the Frisco Classic uh, with Ohio State on my birthday, March 3rd, uh, Oklahoma, and then California. Um, so, look, more out of those, I mean, look, OU's far and away the program that stands out the most of those three is an opportunity to pick up a good win. Um, but, again, three power conference opponents um, that you have an opportunity to, to go and, you know, add more quality wins to your resume – if state can come out of this this you know next weekend feel well you know they if you can beat Southern Miss and then you know can take two or three in the upcoming weekend I think you're fully back on board with okay this team you feel pretty good about where they're headed two and two week I think it's kind of just about the same as where you are uh, but I would say one and three or God forbid zero oh and four then it I think it's probably right back to people being in panic mode so we're not yet at a spot where you can feel just fully, fully great about this team going forward. But look, the big thing that we, we kind of talked about is if state can just figure out a rotation that is going to work for you, uh, you know, and give you consistent results. Most, most games, the offense is going to do enough that you'll be able to win. And right. And um, yeah. the, the, the rotation discussion is, is, you know, it's only getting more interesting week in and week out. Of course, Casey Hunt struggles in the opening weekend. Starts off fine, has a has a good inning, and then it just kind of falls apart for him. And of course, you ultimately lose that game. So you insert Intima, and great question answered. Intima uh, played great. Probably the best start you've had all season. Uh, you know, we'll discount the midweek start for St. Joe because you know it was ULM, but. You went out again, and honestly, you could argue that Einzma did better, but neither here nor there. Definitely wasn't as splashy as uh, Sanja's, but whatever. So good, you got that question settled. But then the day before that, on Friday, um, Cade Smith can't hit the broadside of a barn. And you know, the thing about with Cade Smith, I don't know if you watched or listened. I got tired of hearing Jim Ellis say, "And the count is a ball and a strike." And the count is a ball and a strike, and the count's one and one, nothing in or one and no, no strikes. He just kept saying, I don't think Cade Smith got ahead of anybody. Uh, of course, I mean, it happened a couple times, but however many batters he faced, he just kept getting behind in counts. That's not very Cade Smith like. And I don't know if something's wrong or if Cade Smith uh, just had a bad day. I, I imagine the zone was probably pretty tight, but it, it didn't limit Ross Dunn very much. You know, he was, he was shoving a pretty, uh, like I say, all game, he's on a pitch count, so he only pitched the three innings. But Arizona State could find the plate, and Cade Smith uh, couldn't. So then that begs the question, you know, what do you do with Cade Smith? Does he pitch on this Friday? Uh, you know, probably. I don't think it's time to 
close the book on Cade Smith. And I'm certainly, I'm sure that he has a role going forward with this team. I don't know if you shuffle the rotation and move him on a different day. I don't really, I don't think that either. I do think his leash is a lot shorter. I think uh, you're not going to let him go three innings if he's, if the first inning is what he did last weekend. I'll cut, I'll tell you that much. You're not going to let him pitch in the fourth inning um, Saturday, uh, fr- this Friday. But if he doesn't start, and again, it might even not even be, oh, Cade hasn't done well. It might just be other players have done well. You know, Gerangelo Sanja. Bradley Lofton is starting tomorrow against Southern Miss. So if Sanja probably could Sanja get an get an inning tomorrow and then be slotted into the rotation this weekend, I don't know if Eintum is ready to be a Friday night ace. Um, I, I like the lefty better on Saturday, but that's that's really nitpicky and not really a huge deal. I do really like Gartman on Sunday. I don't think moving him up is going to do him any favors at all. I think uh, his change of pace, you kind of got the more overpowering or the flashy guys in front of him, and then he's going to be more about pitching, not throwing. Uh, he does have a lot of swing and miss stuff, but changing speeds, locating, that's a little bit more difficult to deal with when you've been uh, seeing gas all weekend. So I like him on Sunday. But it is very, very interesting. And then outside of the rotation, Casey Hunt, man. Uh, is it time to go the Eric Sarantola route where he's throwing in, in 10 run games in the midweek and that's it? I don't know. But – I mean, the guy got drafted last year and came back to try to get drafted higher, and there and it's just not happening. It's it's not happening for him. Another big thing that stands out for this game when you talk about you know the you know what you're doing defensively, uh, played error free error free baseball this weekend, and that's been an issue for Mississippi State um, throughout this season. Like as, well, as much on on Friday, you had some errors Friday. Let me look at box score. I don't think actually has it. Yeah, we have one. One error on Friday. You had an error, and there is there is one score to hit. There is a again, I'm getting this from Jim Ellis and Ron Polk. Not not that those two have forgotten more about baseball than I know, so I trust their judgment because I was listening on the radio. But there was like, you know, Lane Lane had a line drive go off his glove that was ruled a hit that could have been caught. Um, you had a couple little things like that, you know. Sure. Those types of things on on Friday that you didn't have on on the other days, and, and it's tough to say you can live with it in a game where you you know kind of got blown out, but still one run. I mean, one error in a game where considering where MSU has been isn't that big a deal. But then again, you do play error free on Saturday and Sunday because for as much as the pitching has struggled for MSU this season, errors have been incredibly costly at this point as well. Um. In terms of the bats, because I even though there's you know mostly just glowing things to say, and I, I guess this will be a glowing thing. Anybody that stood out to you this weekend as you know continuing to emerge uh, in, in the lineup? Lane weight room Forsyth. That's who stood out to me this weekend. I want to. We'll get to him in a second. I do want to point out Colton Ledbetter seven for seven with stolen bases as a team. You're fifteen for fifteen, which I like, but. Uh, Colton Ledbetter is going to steal 30 bases this year, and I, I'm I'm here for it. So that's that is awesome. Not to mention, you know, 406 average, three home runs, 16 RBI, all of those lead the team. Uh, you love to see it. Not gonna, I mean, there's not enough good things you can say about Colton Ledbetter, but the much maligned Lane Forsythe. My goodness, have a day, kid, uh, or have a weekend. So Lane Forsythe, um, on Friday, of course, you're losing the game. It doesn't really matter what happens. It's all it is what it is. But all the kid does is go uh, one for three with two RBI. I mean, he had he is you can call it a clutch hit. He sc- he opened up the scoring for you uh, in a game where you know 
you probably weren't going to win, but he's still out there uh, executing. Was not the case uh, later on because, of course, the next couple of days, Lane Forsythe does start uh, coming through in an actual clutch game situations. Was one for three with two RBI again on um, Saturday. So he's out, and that was the inning where you open things up, of course. He kind of got things started for you. And then what does he do on Sunday? Not to mention a big home run. My goodness. I was not expecting Lane Forsyth to have his first home run. Uh, I guess it was really, really warm Sunday. And, you know, the ball was probably traveling a bit more than it does on a typical February day. But for Lane Forsyth to have to have his first home run during the winter time was a bit surprising for me. Again, one for three on that day with an, another RBI just coming through for you. And that was a guy who people said was going to be was going to be out of the lineup. You thought that he was going to uh that you weren't going to be able to rely on him. They were calling for his head. Da, 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 da. Of course, the illustrious lounge dog of Mar- uh, Maroon Mike Fane was against those people, letting y'all know that Lane uh, Lane Forsyth was here to stay. All Lane did was play airless baseball this weekend and uh, have RBIs in every game, including a home run. Now, I'm going to triple check and make sure he wasn't the one error on Friday. I did just talk about how he could have made a play that wasn't ruled an error, but I'll get back to you all on that. He made some good plays on Sunday, uh, for sure. Um, No, yeah. Again, we we talk about the offense. You know it's there. and and He was not the error. That was that pickoff. That was the error. Okay. Um, yeah, nice bounce back for Lane Forsyth. Obviously, that's a guy who's gotten quite a bit of criticism uh, through the first few weeks, which some of it earned. I, I I will say some of it earned. And I am not someone who is ever going to sit here and be like, you can't criticize a college kid. Um, I, I feel – I mean, I, like I think there's a difference between criticism and just being a jerk. I think if it's if – it's, Keep it you know, to own the field for the college kids for sure. If, if, like if it's respect – if it's – if you're doing it out of respect where it's just like, hey, you know, they're not playing well, you, you can point that out. He hadn't been playing well, but he had a really nice bounce back weekend for MSU. It is kind of funny when you, you look at the, the stats because you think about how much attention he's gotten. By the way, I'm not saying this critically of him because, like, he, he has had some big moments for state, but, like, Dakota Jordan has the lowest batting average of the guys in the starting lineup. And it, I – Obviously, there's a transition to be made there, but we obviously know what the talent that he has, and I think that maybe this is putting too much on him, but I would say if the guy in your lineup, if Dakota Jordan's the guy in your lineup with the lowest batting average, you're probably at a pretty good spot. Um, right, because that, that's one of those that, you know, I think coaches say this all the time, by the time you get to May, those freshmen aren't freshmen anymore. You know, they've seen it, they've seen it, they've done it at that point. I can't wait to see what that kid does. Uh, I mean, we remember how Hunter Hines went through some of his slumps last year, but he was hot, really, really hot towards the end of the year. Good I mean, Dakota Jordan well. has every tool, so every single tool you could imagine, uh, 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 the epitome of a five-tool player. You're going to love to see uh, what Dakota Jordan has to offer, you know, down the stretch when he's, you know, been around the block a time or two. Good weekend for MSU baseball. You get a series win that you badly needed. And you've got a big opportunity coming up over the next next week again. If you can go out and have a winning week ahead in these next four games, I think you got to feel really good about the direction this team is heading. Um, so, yeah, successful week could prevent them. Before we talk about men's basketball, I do want to shout out a couple other uh, programs on campus. 
dude, softball, how about that weekend? 5-0 and oh for them. And, and look, not a lot of programs that are going to stand out. But anytime you – I mean, you go 5-0 and oh, and you're playing multiple games per day. Uh, I, I guess in softball it's a little bit different because I know how the pitching is, is not, you know, not you know necessarily the same. But uh, still, really, really good weekend for them. And, I mean, you look at their schedule, they got a chance to just keep racking up the wins until that game against Oklahoma ultimately uh, – multiple games against Oklahoma – ultimately come up in, in a few weeks here. Uh, All yeah. right, I got to find out when that game is because we had that discrepancy the other day. It's March March 10th, March 11th. I'm looking at the schedule now. So that's not in the Snowman Tournament. Bulldog Invitational. This weekend. No. So this okay. weekend. I thought it was the Snowman Tournament, which is – that's why I was saying, oh, it's like up here soon. So their upcoming schedule, Friday doubleheader, and this is the Alex Wilcock Memorial. Uh, Wilcox Memorial. Um, we call it the Snowman because she was number eight. That's the correct. Okay. Um, I'm sure you're going to see. That I use for. for I would imagine team. the teal jerseys will be broken out. Uh, oh yeah. This weekend, um, doubleheader on Friday against Dartmouth. Uh, do not let Andy Bernard know that they are in town. Uh, then Abilene Christian Friday afternoon, Saturday doubleheader against Murray State. Shout out to the Racers and then Abilene Christian and then Murray State. Uh, once again on Sunday afternoon to close out. Uh, then the Bulldog Invitational is southeastern Louisiana, the two games with OU, uh, and then Omaha and East Tennessee State. So a lot of teams in there you feel like you should be able to handle. I mean, look, if you take a loss or two to some of those, it is what kind of just is what it is. But huge opportunity with Oklahoma. Um, you get uh, one Coach, of those Oklahoma games, you're in, you're in business. Uh, that is Coach Ricketts' alma mater, correct? Correct. I she, I know she's going to be taking that game. I, not that she wouldn't take every game seriously, but I think coming. I, I don't think they'll take Oklahoma. They'll take that game seriously. I think that's the only reason we got Oklahoma to come to campus. That, that is crazy. Like otherwise, you don't think it would have. If you look happened. at these two events that were hosted on campus and look at all the schools that are playing in them, one of these schools is not like the other. Yeah. Um. But look, those those are games. Look, we saw what the Bulldog fan base could do last year in the Super Regional. Those are games where, you know, we talk all the time about games you need to go to. If you can be here when softball plays Oklahoma, you need to be at Starkville because uh, those are going to be some, some great games to attend. Uh, but, look, shout out to them for a good start to the season. Um, chance to – I know early in the year there was talk uh, – you know, we talked to Daniel and he kind of felt like, you know, there's a lot of turn – there was a lot of turnover with this team and that, it, you know, expecting them to just, you know, turn, bounce back and, you know, go, have another great season might not necessarily be fair. And, look, it's still – very, very, very early. Uh, but they're playing really well. And it does feel like this program is starting to turn a corner and head to more of the direction that we know they ultimately can. Women's basketball, uh, we talked about this on the last show because it was taking place as we recorded. They get the win against Arkansas uh, last Thursday night, which, as we said, pretty much all but locked up a tournament spot for them. Do fall to LSU on Sunday in front of a record crowd at the PMAC. Uh, Look, it's just it, it, that game sort of is what it is. Obviously, would have loved to have had it, but LSU's really good. It's a road game. It didn't matter. Mississippi State women's basketball is going to the tournament. Sam Purcell, 20 wins in his first season. Far and away the most successful first season any women's basketball coach has had in Starkville. Obviously, there, you know, it's not complete parallels because no, he didn't. I guess he didn't take over the greatest situation considering the way things played out, but relative to what other coaches have had in the past. Um, whether it uh you know, whether it was Schaefer or, or Fanning, um, 
little bit, a little bit of a different deal, but still, twenty wins and an NCAA tournament appearance. And Charlie Cream for women's bracketology it has them penciled as a nine seed. Says they're a lock for this thing. That, that's a that's a great spot to be year one. Yeah, you've uh, you've really, really done something. Um, you're actually in a position where you, you know you can you win a couple games in the SEC tournament. You might be looking at a seven seed. That that's lofty, but it's doable. And if you if you end up on that on that route, you know the uh, above a eight nine, you don't want to obviously don't want to be the eight nine. You don't want to play the one seed. This year in women's college basketball, two seeds are are pretty gettable. I think the top two seed will probably be LSU, but those and they're not going to stick a conference team in uh, the same. They're not going to send a SEC team to an SEC venue for the women's tournament. I doubt it. So you end up in one of these other two seeds uh, regionals. You know they're they're te- they're regionals. It's like kind of like this women's tournament is kind of like baseball. Yeah. But um, you send you end up in uh in a game hosted by a two seed, and crazy things can happen. You know, uh, this now women's basketball is less prone to upsets than most other uh, NCAA sports, actually women's sports in general, um, because the teams that are committed to it can have a better quality of athlete. Now, Mississippi State is committed to women's basketball, and they're on the upswing, and that's why they'll be back, you know, competing for championships sooner rather than later. But anything can happen. Uh, kind of like the men that way. You know, the men are, are are tough are tough out in the tournament because of their defense. The turn the women are the same way. They can when they want to, when they put their minds to it, they can absolutely lock you down, and that that carries in these tournaments, uh, especially when. I don't know if they do something to the balls or the rim or something, but it feels like somebody gets hot and they just start bombing shots and it's this thrilling game. Uh, the teams that can prevent that from happening can go far. And that that's also how you prevent uh, upsets. You know, you, you don't get ratted in the tournament when you can lock, lock, lock people up. Women's basketball, the five seed in the SEC women's tournament out in Greenville. I'm, I'm they play the winner like of Vanderbilt and, Texas A&M. Two teams they, that they've been they able to beat. They win that, they can get revenge on Ole Miss. Which would be great. By the way, I understand why it is done the way it is. I hate the rotation for both for the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament and where it's always located, which is not at all a coincidence with who the top program in the SEC is. And then the way that they handle Yes, it is. Why is it always in Greenville? You know why. Well, like, yeah, but – they can't even hide it at this point. Well, it's the same way. And somebody brought this up on uh, Gene's page earlier today. And we saw it firsthand with, you know, with the women's team back in 2019, I believe, um, in the Elite that Eight. Was a against, game for yes. Fashion. State was a one seed and was playing two seed Oregon in Portland, which they could have easily just rearranged who ended up where, but they purposely did not so if you don't know what we're talking about it was uh, a defunct the default higher seed for Oregon so the first two like as Colton was just talking about the first two rounds of the women's basketball tournament are held on camp in campus regionals after that they go to like the uh one of four sites yeah the, the one of four sites which are pretty much always played in uh, let's just say they're played in areas that happen to be very close to traditional powers in women's basketball. Uh, you know, we think about UConn, who, look, I'll admit, I don't watch, you know, women's basketball really outside of Mississippi State. Uh, 
but the number of times I see UConn scores come up and like they're struggling against middling Big East teams, that's kind of crazy this year. Like they're not the same program that they used to be. Uh, but what you'll notice is pretty much every year there's like a regional played in like Albany or somewhere that's not that far from Storrs, Connecticut. Recently, there's been some more regionals played, or not regionals, but uh, Sweet 16 to Elite Eights played pretty close to South Carolina. They play pretty close to Oregon. They'll play pretty close to, to like, Stanford or Notre Dame. Like, they'll play in Chicago. They do this every single year because they know that attendance at women's basketball games is not going to be as great and less people are going to travel. So they purposefully put them in locations where the teams that they bank on getting there, it's an easy trip for their fans. I understand why they do it. It doesn't make it any less BS. But where was where was where was the trip to Birmingham, Oklahoma City when Baylor was was really good? Correct. Well, that's well, where we went. They'll, where, they'll was do the it trip, in... where was the trip to Birmingham when we, for th- three straight years, were uh, no worse than a three seat? Playing in Memphis or Birmingham would not be hard at all. Um, no, but they, they didn't. We didn't get that benefit. Baylor did. Uh, obviously, UConn does. South Carolina does. Oregon did. Oregon was never what we were in women's basketball. What? Why did they get that benefit? It's Sabrina Ionescu for a couple years, and then you know they're right back to middle of the pack. Who cares? Yeah, so that's a complaint because uh, we, we always have to have some sort of complaint whenever we do this podcast. But it's one of the stupid things. I wish they Speaking would. Of Birmingham, I have no hope that the men end up in that little Birmingham pod. I was ta- I was ta- talking today. Like, if that happens, I just – I have to go. I have oh, yeah. you a way go. to go. Um, I did see a projection today, projection today from Bracket Guy Dave, who I think I've shot it out on the show before. You need to be following him. Uh. He had State as a 10 seed playing 7 seed Duke. So it would not be the first time MSU basketball has played Duke in the tournament. I believe the last time was 2003. Um, And Duke is not as good this year out in Denver. So, like, that would be – I have some friendships that would go – that would be – Yes, you do. much tested if if that happened. Yes, you do. But that would be – like – I know that's very, very far, but at the same time, like the chance to go to Denver, uh, I don't know. Maybe that just appeals more to me, but uh, that that sounds like a really fun trip for a chance at a premier game. Obviously, n- none of those bra- uh, brackets are set yet, but that'd be a really cool projection. So uh, we're, we're getting to that time of year where you're going to see more and more of those projections, obviously paying closer attention to where teams will end up being seated. And keeping with that theme, uh, talking about men's basketball, Massive win. Uh, Mississippi State gets the win against Texas A&M, 69. Nice. 62 against the – again, against Texas A&M Aggies. One I, was, of the, I was in the stadium saying, we just need one more pair of free throws. <laughs> I told I told everybody I was sitting there, so I, was like, I was like, Cam Matthews needs to make two more free throws. I know if they fouled him, that he'd make them both. Well – this, I mean, you cannot understand how, understand how big this win was for Mississippi State. Um, Texas A&M, we talked about in the preview, coming in as one of the hottest teams in the country. They have really flipped the switch since their start to non-conference play, have put themselves, as essentially made themselves a lock to reach the NCAA tournament now. I mean, again, I mentioned this a few times. If you looked, I think it was Ken Palm, one of the advanced stats, if you were to do it since January, 
Texas A&M was right there as one of the best teams in the country with how well they were playing. Had they won this game, they were going to be right in position to potentially win the SEC title for them, uh, you know, and get the one seed if they were to beat Bama uh, in the last game of the regular season. Now I hope they do. I hope Bama clinches this week and then A&M beats them because why not? I believe Alabama officially clinched a share. They clinched a share, but they can clinch outright if with one more win, I'm pretty sure. They would, yes. Um, because they've only lost one conference game to this point. Um, Hilarious. Yeah. Can uh, we talk about Can we talk about the A and M fans that thought the win was a given, and then were acted shocked when they lost? So I will say, Barstool A and M. I've seen them plenty of times. They are very stupid. Um, like they just they just are. And I scrolled their timeline a little bit afterward, and. Obviously, they said it in the tweet, like talking about you know we refs didn't help us losing against a mediocre Mississippi State team, but like we we just first of all, it's it's really really stupid for you to, to and I, they had multiple tweets complaining about the refs, which is hilarious considering this the way this game this game played out. And I, I do believe, understand. I believe in the second half, from the fourteen minute mark on, they scored. I'm gonna do some quick maths here. Eighteen points. 16 of those were at the free throw line. Yes. Uh, only one field goal made for Texas A&M basically in the last 14 minutes of the game. And, Which yes, is definitely. pure daddy power. I have never in all my years, I say that like I'm geriatric, seen such clamps. Oh, my gosh. It was beautiful. They yeah. were in prison. They were in. They were under the federal prison was Texas A&M when it came to just their their inability to score at all. And most of the calls were bailout calls, man. Like, they were on the floor, ticky-tack stuff. I, I noticed that uh, in the first half, I was telling people I'm next to, like, we shot more free throws than them in the first half, and they really were letting them play, and that's going to play right into our hands because A&M is the highest, has the highest percentage of points scored at the free throw line in the country. So if they're not going to call a lot of fouls, then that only helps us because obviously we don't make a lot of free throws anyway. Even if it goes both ways, the lower fouls total, if they're, even if they're calling them even, is better for us. And then the second half, they called everything. Yeah. So it's, it's helping and not and not helping us, and then they're going to Barstool is going to act like you know that game was bought at Bulls, well, we bought that game or something. Right, and State did shoot more free throws than A&M, but you do have to consider fouling at the end of the game and the impact that plays. And it's not so much about, look, I understand, like, yes, they, they were a lot of bailout calls where it's just pretty much every time somebody drove to the basket, it was going to be a foul call. Sometimes there are refs like that. It was the number of flops specifically that A&M was able to get away with. Uh, shout out to Wade Taylor. I Okay, if you follow college, man, I, I was going to tweet this out, and I, I didn't do it because I felt like I was setting myself up for potential old takes exposed, even though we won the game, like if we were to meet in the SEC tourney or something were to happen. So I didn't want to I didn't want to call a player. I wasn't going to tweet at him, but I didn't want to call out a player on Twitter only to set myself up for his fan base to come at me if something crazy different happened. But if you follow college basketball on a national scale, there's a running joke about Purdue's best player, Zach Eadie. And if you haven't seen him, he's this like seven footer center who just like is massive, towers over everybody. And Purdue just kind of, they do actually have some shooters beyond him. Like they don't solely run the offense through him, but they could if they wanted to. Um, 
But the running joke, because he's not super athletic, he's not a shooter by any means. He kind of just, kind of just, you know, move like kind of. I'm trying to think of the word. Tumbles around a little bit and just happens to you know lay the butt basketball in because he's so tall. So the running joke is that Zach Eadie's not good; he's just tall. Um, I was going to say Wade Taylor is not good; he just flops. Like, and look to be clear, like the guy was four of nine from deep. He hit some really good shots in this game, but nine of his points came from the free throw line because of the number of bailout calls he got, where it was clear as day it was a flop. Like he was. We, we were barely touching him or not touching him at all, and he just every single time would make a move, and the refs were giving him the call every single time. Utterly ridiculous. That doesn't need to be the story. That, that, not even the flop was the last time he threw on Shaq. But all he did was run Shaq over. Like, he ran Shaq more over on the inbound play, and Shaq is just trying to backpedal as fast as he can, and it's a foul on Shaq. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Get Like, step aside like a bullfighter and let him catch the ball? When you're trying to deny the inbound, yeah, no, it, it it was a lot of crap. Um, but luckily it, it didn't matter because again, state gets the win. A game that MSU like really came out controlling early on and looked like they had a chance to really you know pull away. And at halftime, state was what was the score at halftime specifically? State was up two thirty twenty eight. Thirty twenty eight. And I tweeted that I was very worried that the way State played over, like, the final seven minutes would come back to haunt them. Because State came out of this game red hot. They were, like, 8 of 10 to start, something along those lines. Like, they're just hitting every single shot. And at one point, had built out, like, a nine-point lead. A&M was able to get, get back into it. Some of it were just hitting some ridiculous threes that, like, it was good defense. It was just sort of, you know, what can you do? But then State goes ice cold to close out the second half. And somebody pointed out to me, like, well, yeah, but Texas A&M wasn't hitting shots either. And they weren't. And State had the lead at, the half, at half. But what concerned me, though, is I don't, State was technically the favorite in this game, if you're going off the betting line. But A&M has been, you know, the better team. And like, you always worry when you're when you have an opportunity to, like, take control of the game against a team that has been better than you. And – you, you don't capitalize on that. Like you miss those opportunities when they're playing poorly. You always in the back of your mind is, is that going to come back to bite us? Like it, it happened against, I can't say this because Kentucky was actually playing well, but you think about the Kentucky game there. It felt like there were times state could have maybe mm-hmm. gained some control in that game and they did it. And then Kentucky ultimately turned it on. We, we've seen that against in other games against Kentucky in the past. We've seen Mississippi state, Alabama. Both times they played this year. That is the best example, actually. Like, State could have controlled both of those games and ultimately just didn't. And I apologize for the dog barking in the background if that's coming through. Um, Good boy. Yeah. Um, that got me off off track. So, yeah, I was very worried that that was going to come back to bite State because A&M has been a – they've been good. You can feel like they're going to re- just reset at halftime and they're going to come out playing really well. And we're going to look back and be like, that, that's what costs, especially because AM has been a team that's played much better in the second half. And like during the stretch, they've had some really good second half comebacks. And then that's um, exactly what happened. Yeah. They came out red hot in the second half, could not miss, and built out their own nine point lead. And it was just like, all right, here we go. And I didn't think the game was over by any means. I, I, I sure did. I've seen that movie too many times. And I, I actually didn't think it was over, but I was like, I was doing some mental math, and I was like, 
Because I've seen, I mean, a nine-point lead in a college basketball, it can in some games it'll evaporate in two seconds. But in the games that we've seen us play, I mean, we we play games in the sixties regularly, and sometimes in the fifties. Nine points might as well be twenty points. I, I was just I was doing some mental math, and I'm just like, man, like we've got to do this and this and and you can't you got to say the bonus and I'm just trying to figure this out and I'm agonizing and then Chris Jans calls a timeout and that lead evaporates in two minutes it was beautiful yeah no the way state handled that was really well we also have been Howland you know the way those games often played out in the back of our mind and we can loses that. that game by by this is what how Ben Howland would have played the lead would have built out to 20. Ben Howland would have, with with five minutes left, would have cut it to six, and then we lose by fifteen. I, I, something along those lines. Like I expected State to make a run and get right back into the game and probably get within a buck bucket, but I kind of felt like we'll get to that point, but we'll never be able to get over the edge, and A and M will ultimately push it out at the end to get the win. That was what kind of what, what was in the back of my mind. But instead, like you mentioned, Chris Chance makes the right timeout. State immediately gets a basket, immediately gets a stop, gets another bucket, and just kind of before you know it, they take back control of the game, and then the rest of the way dominated things. We already talked about it. A&M could not buy a basket outside of when the refs were giving them baskets, and State's offense just kept finding ways. Um, no field really, goals for 13 minutes is insane. Right. That, and, that, to do that to an SEC team is insane. You can win any – you could beat anybody in the country doing that at some point in the game. And now that's granted that you don't shoot three for 21 from three or something like that. But if you just have an average an, – a, a slightly below average scoring effort at at the, during the, which the, the same game you've held somebody without a bucket for 13 minutes. And, again, we're assuming that, that you know, competent officiating, I guess. All things neutral, you win. You could beat anybody. You could beat Alabama. You could beat Kansas, Gonzaga, Texas, uh, Houston, Purdue, any of those teams. You could beat playing that way. For sure. And um, you talk, State goes three of 21 from deep in this game. Uh, they shot 44% from the, the floors. And that tells you, you when you were only 14% from deep and you took 21 attempts, like they were, they were pretty money uh, from two. It was just, the shooting from deep continues to be a big problem for this team. Um, but, yeah, well, I mean, and I also should say what, what was so so key down the stretch, the atmosphere in the hump. Uh, wasn't a completely packed house. It was a bit of a late-arriving crowd. Um, but, you, you know, you would have hoped that for – You would have hoped that for this game and this situation that you would have had, you know, 10,000 in the hump or as much as the hump can – fit now with the way I know since they've moved the media seating that you can't have the crowds that you theoretically like the, what what it used to hold but you felt they like you probably... attendance of 9,000 I don't think there was 9,000 in there but it was loud the announced attendance is always higher it was loud and it was just the yes. upper the the state bench side the stu- above the student section was all that wasn't full yeah and there was looks, less looks, big gaps than in the, in the lower bowl than in the, in the Kentucky game. In the Kentucky game, every section had people in it, but there were gaps in the lower bowl. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, how is how is the gaps behind the goal opposite the student section got huge gaps? Like, the so seats have huge gaps in it. 
I don't know. But that wasn't the case this time. Yeah, it, it was. it's a little weird. And then you see you turn around, you have 14,000 for baseball, and I can't help but ask, if you were wanting to sh- – if you showed up for the baseball team with how they've been playing, why did you not show up for the basketball team? But well, that's another story for another day. Uh, I guess we're, we're just going to have to keep fighting the whole attendance thing for basketball. It just kind of is what it is. The fans who were there – The answer to that is the left field lounge because a lot of people just go – that's the only reason they go to baseball games is to cook and eat. You're correct. The, the, I mean, those how many how many fit in those frat rigs? There's probably two thousand dudes up there. I don't I don't know how they don't collapse. They're packed. They're sh- they're elbow well, to elbow. It used to be that how do you don't know they don't collapse, but now it's you know all concrete, so right. it's a little different now. But I, I get obviously get your point. Um, nonetheless, the fans that were there created a fantastic home atmosphere, and you it, it got really loud several times. Um, the breakaway dunks from Sean Jones and DJ Jeffries. Um, it I I love you know hearing hearing the replays of that and just how how loud it got in there. It it brings me some pride for for what MSU basketball can become. I did um, have a question, and it's way too early to ask this, but I was the people I was sitting with. Shout out Paul Sullivan, uh, at Hell State Unis. Is Sean Jones the best walk on basketball player we've ever had? I don't know MSU basketball history deep enough to be able to answer that question. I don't either. But don't he know. has been. But I, we ha- he answered that question. He asked that question in the first half, and then I looked at him after that dunk, and I said, "Paul, yes." <laughs> Just heat of the moment. Six point six points uh, for uh, Sean Jones on three of five shooting, zero of two from deep. Um, but you know, if Sean Jones is obviously not going to be a guy, you know, coming off the bench as a rotational player who's ever going to give you at least not now, major points, but he's he always feels like he gets buckets in key moments. Did you like, see that he was – at the end of the game, they were putting in – coach was putting in Jones for defensive possessions. You shoot the free throws, you take him out for offense because it was a free throw contest pretty much. When they would shoot a free throw, you take him out for offense, and then on defense you turn around and put him back in. So they've got – he fancies Jones a stopper. That was even before Shaq fouled out. It, it, well, you got you got to play defense for uh, and, and I for, just for, they, coach obviously thinks that highly of Sean Jones's defense to be putting like you're basically subbing in him solely for defense there at the end of the half, just back and forth. That's why Eric Reed is seeing the minutes that he's seeing because right. even well, though they were, he was swapping Reed out for Sean Jones on defense, like that's how that's how much he trusted Sean Jones in that game. Right. Um. No, Sean Jones, that, that's a great that that's gonna be a guy that's fun to watch over the next few years for MSU. Uh Tolu Smith leads the way once again with 17 points on six of eight shooting, uh five of eight for him on the line. He, he kind of struggled early in this game, but got his rhythm. And that was a thing for MSU as a total as, as a whole. Uh 20 of 30 on the day shooting, but they were only six of twelve in the first half, 14 of 18 in the second half. So when state had to have the free throws, they made them. Which I, I feel like that's kind of been the case this season. It's They've hit the free throws in the clutch moments. It's kind of been when there's not much stress put on them that they that that's when the free throws. I think it was the same way against Arkansas, um, except for except for Georgia, that has been the case. Even back going back to Marquette and Utah, people forget we had to make free throws to win those games. Yes, yes. Um, but, Tolu yeah. hits his free throws when it's on, when it's pressured. It, it it's 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 funny how that works. And like another guy who's going to hit those free throws when it's pressured, Cam Matthews, eleven points for him. Seven of nine from the free throw line. Um, by the way, four, leads the team in assist uh, with, with four in this game. Um, Cam Matthews, I mean, he's just so fun to watch. And the his emergence 
I, I say emergence. Obviously, we've seen since last year, like the guy that he can be as uh, as an impact player on this team. But now we're getting more scoring output out of him, even if it's just coming from the free throw line, like him getting the fouls. Like you trust he's going to make them, which is great. And probably maybe the biggest key for staying in this game, though, Shaq Moore, 14 points for him on 5 and 12 shooting, 2 of 6 from deep. Um, we've You've kind of missed him the last couple of games. And it's, you know, there was a whole big thing at the end of the Missouri game where, like, he, he just didn't play. And it was kind of like, what what's the deal with that if he was healthy? And ultimately hadn't just, just hadn't been playing as good as you need to. He is so crucial for this team's success because you've got to have somebody in that backcourt who you trust to be able to go and knock down shots. And he hit some massive shots in this game. Um, I'll tell you what, just like you can beat anybody in the country if you can hold them under 14, 14 minutes without a point or without a field goal, not a point, but a field goal, you can beat anybody in the country if Shaq Moore is scoring 15 points. For sure. I mean, and my God, if State can have nights where they're just, you know, 25% from three, look out, <laughs> instead of uh, under 15%. If they um, shoot 30% from three the rest of the season, they might win a national championship. They might. And, I, you know, I guess now the transition is we can start talking about that. Not not winning a national championship, but, like, getting getting into getting into tournament. Although, I did see today somebody already did, like, a – they posted, like, a long shot odds, Mississippi State national – like, Final Four. Um, like, someone, like, not a state fan. I guess just some random, random guy who does – some call like call. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's actual gambling or or what it specifically was, but I, I saw they get shared over to uh, to the message board today. State now has themselves in a spot where you have to feel really really good about their chances of getting to the NCAA tournament. MSU is up to number thirty nine in the net. Uh, I've talked about being top forty is kind of a, a big deal for that, which it d- does not make you a lock. There are teams that get left out in the top forty. I think there's going to be some teams. I think 38 is the lowest, is the highest a team's ever been ranked and not and missed. Uh, I no, I, I know that that stat got shared um, earlier, but Brian I specifically, I, well, yeah, I specifically remember uh, when we broke this stuff down. I can pull it up right now. I, it's not it, worth it. Um, it's not. If you if we remember the episode where I spent like twenty minutes straight just talking talking about like tournament resumes and where where state had to get to, the very first year of the net, so, uh, there was a team who was like thirty five in the net who didn't get in, um, because you had a few cases where there were teams where they just had one crucial killer flaw that ultimately kept them from being selected. Uh, those teams were Texas, Clemson, and NC State. Texas was sixteen and sixteen overall. NC State had a horrible strength of schedule. Uh, and NC and Clemson had zero quad one wins, and that's why those teams, uh, Clemson might have had one. I think they had one quad one win, so none of those teams got in despite being top forty in the net. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but MSU, luckily for them, it's not the case. Four and seven in quad one games. Uh, obviously, the wins against uh, who are the Marquette, uh, TCU. Arkansas and Texas A&M. And of course it's key that you have that win at Arkansas, which by the way, let's talk about those Marquette's number 13 in the net. Uh, TCU is 22. Arkansas is 14. Texas A&M is 27. So I did mention this, like it is still a quad one win. And obviously you got to cheer for the Aggies that they stay top 30. 
that's still a big win for Mississippi State. Even if AM becomes quad two, that's a win against a team projected to make the NCAA tournament. That's going to make the tournament. You have five wins total in that when you factor in beating Missouri. Compare that to a lot of other bubble teams. Like they don't have those wins. Four and two in quad two. Uh, Akron sitting right there at number 100 in the net. Right at the cutoff line for being a quad two win. You're rooting for Akron hard. Yes. Is there a conference uh, tournament this week? I I think they still have a at least one more regular season game. I, I can I'm stupid. I literally up. can just click on it and I I got it. You keep going. Well, no, no, I, I I had it in front of me. All I had to do was click on their name. Um because on the on the site that I was at, it takes you to their schedule. Uh naturally, of course, it doesn't want to load. But four and two. Ball State. Ball State. They host Ball State tomorrow, Friday. They're at Kent State. Yeah. So their regular season. Uh, The MAC will play conference. Like conference tournaments did start today. Um, They're like us. They have two games left. So they're on the same schedule we are. Yes. Um. Where was I at? Okay. Yeah. So state total eight and nine in quads one and two. You ideally want a winning record there, but eight and nine top two quadrants as a bubble team that's pretty it's that's fine four and one in quad three we did talk about that loss to georgia unfortunately did become a quad three loss also another i know we've been talking a lot about utah as like a team that you want to get like top 50 uh they are down to number 69 nice not so nice um it felt like just like last week it felt like they were like 52 and they, they were just so close. It's like, if they can get a win, they can get a win. They can move top 50 and be another quad one win for state. That's not going to happen. Um, that's still a, a quality victory, though. They're not going to drop all the way out, are they? No, they, they should. They would have to stay top 100 because that game is neutral site. They'll be fine. Um, okay. Although, you do need to keep an eye on Florida. Florida's 64 in the net. Like, they have been just kind of in a free fall. If they fall out of the top 75 because that game was at home, that becomes quad three. So you do want the Gators to keep winning. I I don't think it would hurt State too much. It, maybe it would be the difference between being like a last four buys and being last four in. Uh, but that is something to, to keep an eye on. Overall, State's resume is still pretty strong. 7-0 and against quad, quad four. So we are rooting for the Zips. We're rooting for – the Gators, the Aggies, and the other Bulldogs, because Georgia can still fight back to quad, quad two. Uh potentially they are one forty seven. They would need to be top uh, top one thirty five. Oh, um, with two games, I don't know who they have left to play. It's probably not going to happen. Um, State's fortieth in Ken Palm. Uh, your net strength of schedule fortieth. Non-conference, 238. Again, that's that's kind of an issue for State, but it's not going to be a killer for them. Uh, you're four and Damn, five. Florida and Georgia play. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's – that's at this point, give me the Gators. I, I would, I would yeah. much rather Florida win. Uh, the Georgia loss is what it is. Four and five on the road, that, that's fine. Strength of resume, 40th. Uh, so, I mean, look, you're kind of right on the borderline when it, in terms of your overall resume. But you have better wins than so many other bubble teams. Like that is the big, and you you only have the one loss that sticks out as a problem. Like that is what uh, you know helps Mississippi State so much compared to these other teams. And if you looked at updated bracketology, most people move state up into their last four buys, meaning like you're in the tournament, 
and you, you're avoiding having to play in Dayton. You don't have to play those first four games. You're already in. Some people have stayed all the way up to a 10 seed. Uh, and I love that. Yeah, that, that would be be really good for State with where they're at. I mean, and now you're kind of at a point where you you do not lock up a bid by beating South Carolina, but you feel really, really good. Um, Vanderbilt at number 87 in the net on the road. That's a you know quad two road opportunity. If you lose to the Commodores, it's not a killing loss. Uh, and if you guys remember, I talked about the only path I saw for State to realistically get in with only eight SEC wins, which again, say this every single time. It's just, it's only, it, we're only referencing conference record because it's a way to view it easily for fans, not because conference record is actually a criterion used by the selection committee, because it is not. It is not on their team sheet. Um, South Carolina, like that is bad loss of wins. They're 238 in the net. That's a quad four loss at home. You cannot take that. But if you get that, you that's the last chance you have at a terrible, terrible, terrible loss, depending on what happens in the SEC tournament. Um, losing at Vanderbilt probably drops you down a, a line, maybe. It depends on what would happen around you. But it's not it's not a backbreaker. And then if you, as long as you get a win in the SEC tournament, I think you, at that point again, you feel pretty good. Um, obviously, if you win out, if you're state, you're, you're a lock. You will make the NCAA tournament. And well, if you went out and you're this champion, you're an auto bid. I meant regular season, but sure. Um, if you went out of the regular you season, you were a national champion too. <laughs> if you wanted to take it a step further, yes. If state wins its last two regular season games, they will go to the NCAA tournament and probably are going to be like a, be able to avoid date. If you beat South Carolina, I think you're still most likely going to the tournament. But it's, it does get iffy. You do have to start worrying about potential bid thieves. But your overall resume is still pretty fairly strong. Um, they've put themselves in a pretty good spot, about as good as you can ask for for this point. And, and you know, uh, at, has has Dayton hosted play-in games before? Is that a common place for them, for them to have? It's every year. It's always in Dayton? Yes. Okay. Now, see, why is that? Don't know. Couldn't tell you. Centralized location, probably. Um, that, that's that's literally the only thing I can think of. Uh, speaking of the SEC tournament, so Mississippi State right now officially listed as tied for ninth in the SEC standings with the Florida Gators at seven and nine. But as we know, Florida does have the head-to-head win, so State technically would be the ten seed in the SEC tournament if it were to be held today. That would mean State would avoid playing Wednesday night sadness. You do not want to have to be a part of that. That would be a very, very weird thing that we're talking about state as an at-large bid in the tournament if they were participating in Wednesday Night Sadness. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Um, that might be a fun thing to go look up at some point. Uh, but look, well, ultimately it's because you'd, you'd only have to go back since A&M and Missouri joined the conference. True, true. Um, but ultimately that's because you have a lot of other teams that got off to hotter starts. Um but, I mean, MSU is right there in line with the likes of, you know, a couple games back, Missouri, Auburn, and Vandy. You obviously you have a chance against, with Vanderbilt to, you know, pick up a win against them. A game back of Arkansas, who you do have the head-to-head with, and then you're tied with Florida. Uh, right now, your bottom four teams, Georgia, Ole Miss, South Carolina, and LSU. Let me – if you if you want to talk for a minute and stall, I want to check the 
the tournament bracket for men's basketball. I did want to point out, so we're rooting for the Zips to be a quad two win. They're 100. They're right on the cut line. Their last two games are against the better teams in their conference. They're, they're third. They play Kent State, who is second, and Ball State, who is fourth. Uh, so if they can get – if they can split those games, they can probably move up in the net um, or stay – or hold firm at 100. And then, you know, you want to win some conference tournament games. But hopefully that will stay the same. Like we said, we were just looking at, uh, you know, Georgia. We, we go ahead and root for Florida, I guess, because, you know, Georgia is already a quad three loss, and right now it's not hurting us. So we're not going to root for Georgia anymore. Um, across the SEC, we could finish ahead of Arkansas. You have the tiebreaker. So as far as tournament seating goes in the conference tournament, you'd like for Arkansas to lose. Um, barring, you know, I guess it doesn't hurt you any. Um, who you don't need anybody else really to lose in the in the uh in the uh standings. If Vanderbilt goes zero and two this week, you would obviously have the tiebreaker over them, and therefore you'd be able to uh, have a you'd have the same record. Vanderbilt has a winning record in the league, believe it or not. Only sixteen and thirteen overall, but nine and seven in the league is absolutely is actually kind of crazy. But if you beat Vanderbilt this week, and Vanderbilt also loses the early game this week, you'd have the tiebreaker, so you would jump them. Um, I don't think you can jump Auburn. Head to head's the only um, head to head's the only, the first tiebreaker, right? Yeah, the I'm trying to think what scenario would lead to you jumping Auburn. I don't know if you. It would have to be a, like a multi-team tiebreaker. Um, well, it could be because Missouri has the same record as Auburn. So if Missouri were to go zero and two, again, I don't know if you want that because you kind of want Missouri, a team that you played twice, to stay high in the net. But Missouri goes zero and two. That you that's a split. So that you'd have to get into the funny tiebreakers for that. Um, also, Missouri has two weak teams left, so they should probably handle their business. Auburn, I think, has tough games left. Vanderbilt, we know they Auburn, play us. I would predict Auburn to go zero and two. Which, by the way, if Auburn goes 0-2, they might miss the NCAA tournament. Just pointing that out. Um, they're in a in a free it's fall right now. Though. I mean, that's a bid. Yeah. Uh, so, as of right now, MSU would play – the 10 seed would play the 7 seed. So, if, if everything stood firm or, like, this, this is how the bids shake out, you'd be playing, I think, Vanderbilt, either Vanderbilt or Auburn. I'm not sure exactly – or I guess technically maybe Arkansas, too. It would just depend on how it shakes out. Uh, but I would say Vanderbilt is who you'd be playing right now. Um, and then potentially after that playing, if you were to win that game, you would play the two seed, which would be Texas A&M. So if State sticks in the similar area that they're in, they're probably not going to play a game in the SEC tournament against a team that could, like, tank your resume. Because that is the other thing you have to remember. Like, if you were to get paired up with, like, an LSU, like if they were to win a game in the opening round or something, then all of a sudden it becomes, okay, you kind of need to win this game to feel – Really, really good. No, by the, by the way, even if, if State goes, don't if they went out the regular playing, season, you don't want to be playing games you can't afford to lose, just by virtue of some how the cookie crumbled in the standings. That would be unfortunate. Yeah, so like that would be the most Mississippi State thing ever. And like I think State is locked in if they went out the regular season, but like who knows? Maybe like you somehow you get paired with South Carolina, like a, a third game. And then you were to lose that, like that would still be a quad four loss. That's one of those things you got to be careful of and you know be wary of. Speaking of the Gamecocks, we're going to close on this. Um, they are playing better basketball right now. I know they got blown out by Tennessee, but like this is a team that has been playing better as of late. We saw with how they handled Alabama and 
probably could, should have won that game. They have been a better team on the road for the majority of the season. Mississippi State cannot afford to have a uh, a letdown, look-ahead type performance after what happened against Texas A&M. You would completely erase any goodwill you did by beating A&M and then some by losing at home to South Carolina. That would just be a terrible, terrible, terrible loss and might knock you out of the field altogether. Like The big thing that is helping Mississippi State compared to a lot of other teams right now is that they do not have the bad losses that other teams do. That would be a devastating loss. MSU needs to handle business. You ha- And I, look, I trust Christians to have them fully focused, but we've seen this team and on a few occasions felt like they haven't come out fully focused in some of these, some of these games recently. Wasn't the case against Texas A&M. I don't think it was the case against Missouri, but it felt like they kind of went into the Kentucky game, almost just expecting to win. And very, you know, clearly Kentucky was there to play. Kentucky was the more desperate team and look what the Wildcats have become now. Um, and against Ole Miss, it, it didn't feel like they were as locked in as they needed to be. You have to be, again, fully, fully, fully locked in um, because you can't afford to take a loss here. Beat South Carolina, handle your business, and your likelihood of making the tournament, I, I would say, is very, very, very high, assuming that you got at least one more win between Vanderbilt and then whoever you play in the opening round of the SEC tournament. Um, so, hey, it's senior night. They're going to be some, you know, we're going to see what the Bulldogs go uh, participate in the uh, activities. Always keep, uh, I did hear, and it might have been announced already, there's going to be a few guys who are, you will notice, will noticeably not be participating. There will also be guys who might participate, but do not, does not mean that they, they could be gone. Just keep that in mind. Uh, so, you know, don't read too much into who does or doesn't participate. Um, because we have mentioned on the show, there's a chance for you to have a, a really strong lineup returning next season. Pack out the hall one last time. For Sean Jones. Oh, maybe. oh, he's got to be scholarship. At oh this yeah, point. I mean, if, they'll they'll find a scholarship for him. I'm sure. That that guy has, if not if you don't have him on full scholarship, that'd be ridiculous at this point. I know Tuesday night 8 p.m. is tough, but if you can pack out the hump one last time, this team deserves it for the season that they've given you. And want to make sure you give them a great home atmosphere to close it out and get that one last win that you need to feel really, really good about getting in the tournament. Pack uh, out the it, hump and then avoid Bailey Howell Drive from that night forward because construction will ramp up. Very, very true. All right, so that's going to do it for us. Um, big weekend on campus for MSU that ultimately was very – or I guess it wasn't all on campus, but big weekend for MSU Athletics. Uh, very successful across your, uh, your, you know, your four biggest sports that are going on right now. And again, we've, we've talked about it. You're getting into a really fun time of the season and it feels like you're going to have a lot of teams that are playing in some big games going forward. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, thanks Colton for hopping on. And as always swing your sword and hail state.